When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of For Real is sponsored by Book Riot's TBR. It's time to check out TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. With TBR, you tell our professional book nerds, we call them bibliologists, about your likes and dislikes, whether you want comfort or stretch reads, and of course what your reading goals are, and then sit back while they comb through your Goodreads account, if you have one, and handpick recommendations and must reads just for you. TBR offers plans to receive three hardcover books in the mail or three recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. And the recommendations-only level is available worldwide. After each order, give your bibliologist feedback, update your requests to stay in line with your reading goals and expanding horizons, and basically just have your own personal book concierge. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. It only takes a couple of minutes. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukra, and fellow writer Alice Burton. We're recording on Saturday, April 23rd. Hello, Alice. How are you today? I am, as always, trucking along. How uh, <laughs> how are you doing? You know, I, I'm doing okay at we haven't talked in a really long time because we recorded our last episode so early and then we were all over the place. So I, I feel like we haven't talked in forever. Oh, yeah. I was jet setting around the country yes. for the month of March. I went to Florida, Minnesota, New York, and California. That is bananas. I That's more places than I have gone in total probably in like two years. Yeah, it it somehow happened that everything, like every trip we had to do just all was like kind of sequential, I guess. Yeah. And thank goodness it was before they removed the mask mandate on airplanes. Just like skated by on that. But yeah, we we somehow did not get sick, which I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) It is amazing. Like odds wise, it felt uh, not likely. Yes. So during your travels, did you find yourself reading a lot or were you so busy that you didn't read at all? Like what was what was the situation there? Um, I didn't have a lot of time to read, especially like the last trip we did when we recorded early was California. I was there for like a week and we did a lot of hiking, which was very difficult because there was, you know, like uh, you had to go uphill. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I live in Illinois. We don't have any kind of incline. <laughs> and what was the other? Oh, I did bring The Black Dahlia by James Elroy. Because it felt appropriate because mm-hmm. I was going to be in the Los Angeles area. But mm-hmm. uh, I think I only read like 40 pages, which is all about setting up the two main detectives as partners, which is all it's it's a, extremely masculine as a novel. And it's very like we were boxers and then we became partners <laughs> because of boxing. You know, this was like, oh, okay. great. So, yeah. But I don't know. How, what have you been up to? Boy, you know, a lot of just around Minnesota this spring has been terrible, genuinely terrible. Uh, It has been cold and rainy and we have had snow and like four days of sun the entire month of April, it feels like. So that's been 
frustrating and a little bit demoralizing. Yeah. You know, because like you just you need the you need the weather. But I was talking to a friend last night and we both agreed that it was better that this spring was really terrible than last spring when we all just like needed to get out. And the only way you could really see each other was outside because we had all not been vaccinated yet. So I'm really glad we had a nice spring last year and I can like maybe take the the crappy one this year. But yeah, so it's just been a been a lot of wishing that it was not snowing. <laughs> It's a good way of looking at it. But yeah, snowing, uh, that's astonishing. Did not yes. know that happened. Yes, it did. It was uh, it was horrendous. <laughs> multiple times, uh, like multiple times, inches of snow on the ground. And I was oh my gosh. Like, oh, why? But I, I feel like I was like reading a good amount, but the number of books I finished is sort of not very impressive. But I do have three of them that I wanted to really quick uh, mention because they were all good in their own ways. So the first one we talked about is a new release, uh, Ancestor Trouble, A Reckoning and a Reconciliation by Maud Newton. Uh, and that one is about genealogy and a woman's quest to like understand her family. And so she explores family history from a bunch of different dimensions. And it is really fascinating. It's really wide-ranging and sort of pulls in a ton of different interesting topics. I, it was like just a titch too long. You know, those books where you sort of are getting to the end and you're like, all right, I am finished with this and I would like to move on to something else. <laughs> and you're like, no, I still, I still have like 75 pages left. So I wish it had been just a little bit shorter, but I really did find it very interesting. So yeah, there's that one. And then... Um, I mentioned, I don't know, several podcasts ago probably that I'm obsessed with crossword puzzles now, uh, which has continued. I am still very obsessed with crossword puzzles. So uh, I finally read Thinking Inside the Box, Adventures with Crosswords and the Puzzling People Who Can't Live Without Them by Adrian Raphael, uh, which is just a book about crossword puzzle people. Super nerdy, super... It felt like it sort of went all over the place, uh, but it was a fun read for like learning a little bit more about like the history of crossword puzzles and how the New York Times crossword puzzle gets put together. Um, the world of competitive crossword puzzling, which I didn't know was a thing, but it is. So I should have I should have guessed that, right? Like everything, there's a competitive version of it. I think, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So yeah, there's competitive crossword puzzling, which I learned about, and that was so that was fun. Uh, digging into like a, a nerd hobby right now. And then the last one is an audiobook that I thought was really excellent, which is How to Be Perfect, The Correct Answer to Every Moral Question by Michael Schur. Uh, and so Michael Schur is the creator of The Good Place, and he was uh, part of creating Parks and Recreation. And so The Good Place is a show that had <laughs> its core is about moral philosophy. And so this book is basically everything Michael Schur learned about moral philosophy while he was putting The Good Place together. So he explains uh, sort of three different branches of secular moral philosophy, uh, what the the big questions they try to answer, the rules that they suggest you live by, and then kind of uses those to look at real world situations and how you might approach them to be a good person. Um, and I thought it was a delight. Uh, the audiobook is great uh, and just really f- very funny and uh, charming. So. I definitely recommend How to Be Perfect. That book sounds so good. Um, yeah, I know we have a copy on someone's account, but uh, I'm not sure whose. I'll find that and then I will listen because that show is excellent. Yeah, it's really fun on audio because he like has uh, cast members from The Good Place read little parts of it. So it, it's like a full production audio, which I don't like. I don't always love those, but this one I thought it was very like well, the actors were well used. 
Well, that seems really appropriate just like for what it is, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. I guess is the same thing you're saying. But yeah, (laughs) um, yeah, I've just basically been reading Lincoln audiobooks. (laughs) Um, That saga continues. I just started my seventh. And then I know like for the year, it's really weird. But then I will almost be out of Lincoln audiobooks that are like at the library. And then I'm going to have to figure out what else to do. I guess I can read like actual physical books, but it just doesn't seem as fun because I like do my coloring app while I listen to them. Yeah. So I don't know. But this last one is really short. It's like five hours and it's called Lincoln in Private. Um, I just finished this one that was all about Lincoln as commander in chief during the war. So it was much more battle focused. And then uh-huh. right before that, I read one about Lincoln and the Todd family, like Mary Todd Lincoln's family. Because uh-huh. yeah. they were in Kentucky and some of them fought for the Confederacy and died. And so it was like a very sort of complicated situation. Uh-huh. But then, yeah, I don't know. There's just, there's so many facets. Like all these books are like, here's like him from this angle. And here's, and like the one I did not like was The Zealot and the Emancipator by H.W. Brands. I forget if I said this last time, but he, it just seems it presented Lincoln in this, in the only negative light I have seen him <laughs> in any of the books. Hmm. And I was like, what's your game, H.W. Brands? <laughs> Why don't you love this man as much as I do? <laughs> he loves John Brown, which like, okay, sure. Uh-huh. But because um, half the book is John Brown and half is Lincoln. But it was just, it was very surprising. There were certain things where like, like Team of Rivals gave extra context and he like doesn't provide that. And you're like, huh. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting indeed. So anyway, we'll just, uh, I'll just carry on in my... Lincoln Quest, which I might uh, also pivot to be like a Ulysses S. Grant kind of a sitch because he also seems very interesting. And he and Lincoln got along really well towards the end of the war. But the only biographies of Grant are like 40 hours long. long. I don't understand. I mean, Ron Chernow, who does not know how to edit himself, (laughs) he did one. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't that like the most recent one is Ron Chernow did an enormous one? (sighs) And then the other one is H.W. Brands. (laughs) Can't get away from those guys. Like, what else am I supposed to do? But anyway, let's talk about a sponsor, which is Book Riot's podcast. If you love this show, you are bound to love many of our others. If you subscribe to Red or Dead, you'll hear updates on the world of mysteries and thrillers. You can download SFF Yeah for happenings and recommendations in sci-fi and fantasy. Don't miss When in Romance for updates on all things kissing books or Hey YA for excellent conversations about young adult lit. We've got a show for everyone. Legit, like, Absolutely. Just go to bookriot.com slash listen for a full list of all our podcasts or simply type book riot in the search bar of your podcatcher of choice. It'll bring up the full stable. There are so many. Your TBR and the podcast shaped hole in your heart will be full. Happy listening. Excellent. So uh, we're just going to jump straight into new nonfiction, which is books that are out recently coming out soon that we have previewed or are just really excited to, to tell you about. So um, my first pick for new nonfiction is called Indelible City, Dispossession and Defiance in Hong Kong by Louisa Lim, which came out April 19th from Riverhead Books. And uh, so this book is kind of a combination memoir, journalistic, historical look at Hong Kong. So 
Uh, the author, Louisa Lim, uh, grew up in Hong Kong. Uh, one of her parents is Chinese and one of her parents is English. And so she grew up in kind of the expatriate like area of Hong Kong and so has a long history living there. And so when uh, protests erupted in Hong Kong in 2019 and they started to be suppressed by the Chinese government, uh, Lim thought that she was in kind of a unique position to go and try and like understand what was happening there and understand the protests kind of in the whole context of Hong Kong's history based on her experiences living there as a child. So the book starts is, is really just like a, a comprehensive history of Hong Kong. And so part of the way she frames it is that by looking at the different kind of stories or myths that people have told about Hong Kong and how different people have seen at that place as a different type of thing. So for the Brits, the British people, when they came to Hong Kong, they thought of it as a, just like a barren place that has no real like history, um, whereas the Chinese have looked at it as a part of their country since the beginning of time, and it should always have should be always part of them. And so uh, often the history of that place has also not been taught. And so it is just a, a, a place with many different types of stories. So um, she starts with kind of the ancient history of Hong Kong, as best anyone knows it, looks at when the British took over in the 1840s, when it was returned to China in 1997, and kind of what the future of Hong Kong might be. And so she profiles a lot of different people who have uh, an impact on kind of the history of Hong Kong or the stories that people tell about it, and tries to let their interpretation and stories and experiences be kind of the center of telling a larger story about what this place is and what it means to people. So um, it is really uh, it's really fascinating. Um, one of the, the people or characters that she weaves through is this guy called the King of Kulan, who is a street artist and who kind of led protests within Hong Kong and is kind of this like larger than life figure who has been trying to, to change the way we think about Hong Kong for many, many years. And so um, she brings in like her own personal experiences and kind of her memories of growing up there and the things that she learned and some of that. And so it's a, a, a journalistic memoir, which is basically my favorite kind of nonfiction, which I really like. And I just, I, I don't know a lot about Hong Kong. And so this is a really, I think, effective like overview of the history and kind of the context and why it is such a contested place now. So that is Indelible City, Dispossession and Defiance in Hong Kong by Louisa Lim. Oh, I was really interested in that one. I'm glad you talked about it. That sounds really fascinating. I have a memoir, which Whoa. I know. <laughs> so rare in nonfiction. No, I'm kidding. Um, it's exciting. It's Finding Me, a memoir by Viola Davis, which I was looking up. I was like, when did I start hearing about Viola Davis? And I knew that mm -hmm. I watched her on the Tonys back when I would like tape them every year <laughs> when I was in high school. And oh, wow. she I first saw her in 2001, which is bananas because that was over 20 years ago. Yeah, and wow. I know she was nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actress in a Play. And that was back when the Tonys would have like, they would perform scenes from the plays during the oh. broadcast. Yeah. So um, I remember watching her and being like, oh, who's this lady? And now she's like, her career is just like, Oh my gosh, she was uh, mm -hmm. the first black woman to win the quote, like triple crown of acting by she won an Oscar, an Emmy and a Tony. Um, she was in Suicide Squad, but she was also in the movie Fences, which is which she won an Oscar for that. 
She was in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Back in 2008, she did Doubt, which, like, do you remember that play slash movie? Vaguely. Vaguely. It's the Meryl Streep, like, it's like, did Philip Seymour Hoffman the as a priest do it or not? We don't know. Uh, Doubt. Yeah. Anyway, so, like... <laughs> What I'm saying is her career has been very uh, varied. She's done just like a ton of different roles and then how to get away with murder. But Mm -hmm. so in her book, she talks about growing up in South Carolina and then moving to Rhode Island. Her father was an alcoholic. He was physically abusive. They were extremely poor. She had a really hard time at school. And then she saw Cicely Tyson on TV and wanted to become an actor. Which, like, that alone I just, like, get a little emotional about. <laughs> Cicely uh-huh. Tyson, I remember her, like, her memoir came out, like, right when she passed away. Yeah. And just, like, oh, gosh. Anyway, so she got a theater degree. And then, like, she started um, – when she started acting, she got all these roles for, like, like drug-addicted mothers and just, like, all of these, like, really horrible stereotypes. And so to see what she has then taken her career to from that uh-huh. is just, like – This is really inspiring and nice. So anyway, so this is Finding Me, a memoir by Viola Davis out now. Yeah, I'm glad you talked about that one. That feel I love celebrity memoirs on audiobooks. That feels like it could be a really good one. Ooh, good point. Just because, yeah, like I didn't realize her career was that long. Like I don't, I don't know why. Like when, I mean, you said like when is the first time I knew Viola Davis, and I am not really sure. But yeah, she has had some fascinating roles and like particularly like maybe the last five or ten years for sure yeah she's playing michelle obama now on that showtime series like oh yeah just just cool just i think that's that's part of that thing right of as like as you get more famous you get to kind of call the shots as to what roles you want to do and like what you're interested in and also like i don't know country has changed but like there's a lot of factors but she is like at this amazing point in her career where she is like able to play michelle obama in the first ladies and it's just mm. Mm-hmm. so neat anyway yeah yeah so before i come to this next one i'm just gonna say to everyone who's listening i apologize if there's like thunder in the background there's like a thunderstorm happening outside right now and i can't it keeps like sort of rumbling and it's weird but everything's good that's exciting everything's good all right so my uh next pick is called free two years six lives and the long journey home by lauren kessler and this is a book looking at incarceration and what happens to people after they are released from prison and so it's a reported look at profiles of different people after they are released from prison and so I have been reading this one it is really good and I just want to like before I start kind of talking about the story part of it there is a bunch of statistics in the second chapter that I just I don't know they just stopped me in my tracks because I knew these things were bad but I didn't realize how bad until I saw the numbers so I'm just gonna read them for you so she talks about how one out of every six Latino boys is expected to go to prison in his lifetime One of every three black kids will spend time behind bars. And for white kids, the figure is one out of 17. And that's in the United States. And all of those numbers seem incredibly high to me. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So uh, another one. The United Nations estimates that the median rate of mass incarceration per capita is 145 people per 100,000. In Western Europe and Scandinavia, the rates are like below that in the 70s to 60s range. The U.S. incarceration rate is 655 people per 100,000. That is higher than Russia, China, or North Korea, which that's bananas. Wow. She goes on to say that on any given day, one-third of adult Americans are either incarcerated, on probation, or on parole. One-quarter of all Americans have an arrest record. And 97% of the people we put behind bars eventually get out. And so what she's writing about, which is the, like, leaving prison and trying to go back into the world affects 
the vast majority of people who ever spend time in prison. And so this is an important thing that we should be talking about. So Kessler uh, profiles, I think several different people who were in prison and then get out. So one of them is a man named Arnaldo who uh, grew up, came of age in a maximum security prison and is now free after 19 years. Uh, another pair are Trevor and Catherine who spent time in prison for crimes they committed when they were children. Dave, a man who is inside prison for 34 years. Uh, Vicky, who has been in and out of prison for several years. And so um, she follows all of them in the first couple of years after they are released from prison and to see what happens to them. And so the kind of the first rush of freedom that they get to do, and then all of the obstacles and roadblocks and bureaucracies and resources and stigma that they face over the next couple of years uh, as they're trying to do that. And so, so far, it is just really sobering um, to sort of have a sense of what the scope of this is really, and also like just all of the obstacles that there are no supports or safety nets or help to give people who have spent decades in prison or even just a year or two to try and kind of get back on their feet and move on after they have served whatever type of uh, sentence that they have been asked to serve. So it's really sobering, but I think her reporting is really interesting. She has a very keen eye for detail and people. And so um, she has a very effective writing style for trying to tell all of these stories. So I think this one's really fascinating and just has really like made me think a lot as I've been reading it. So that is free. Two Years, Six Lives, and the Long Journey Home by Lauren Kessler. Well, and it's like, you you know, you say like 95% of people who go into prison are released, which, you know, on one hand, it's like, oh, great. But then it, that number sounds really high. But then it's like, well, what is the average sentence length, though? Mm-hmm. You know, because it could be like, oh, yeah, well, we let them out after 40 years. <laughs> and it's like, okay, that's not great. Like, that's still an extremely long time. So yeah, this type of thing and just how to provide resources mm-hmm. for people who are left like or let out with nothing. And then it's like, well, how are they supposed to get a job, especially if you have to like, check that box on an employment form. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. That that seems like a I don't know, good book to be out there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, my next pick is Unmasked, My Life Solving America's Cold Cases by Paul Holes. If anyone is familiar with like the true crime podcast world, you are probably familiar with Paul Holes, but if not, he kind of came to prominence not only because of the Golden State Killer case, but because the podcast My Favorite Murder, Karen Kilgariff got really into Paul Holes and was just very attracted to him. <laughs> And they then had the hot, like the hashtag hot for holes, which I do not love, but it is a thing. And he's like very, I feel like he's not let it go to his head at all. He seems just like a very calm guy, which is, is, you know, kind of endearing. But in this book, he, so he retired in 2018, then, uh, and he had worked with, well, I guess worked with is probably overstating, but he definitely was acquainted with Michelle McNamara as she was doing this work to try to identify the Golden State Killer. Um, I believe you could say they were friends. And I've, I've seen this book be listed as like kind of a companion to Michelle McNamara's book, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting and probably accurate, right? Because he talks about 
the catching of him, which which this book was originally supposed to be, which is it was before Joseph D'Angelo was caught. So it was going to be kind of a similar thing to Michelle's, where he was just writing about like, this is my journey to try to catch this murderer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they caught him. And then his editors were like, well, why don't you also write about your life? And he was like, I don't really talk about myself. <laughs> but... <laughs> It's kind of how he talks. But um, I'm glad that they got him, too. So he he just opens up about that and how, you know, investigating these very violent cases throughout his career in the Bay Area, um, how it affected him and his family. And he just, again, he just seems like a very fascinating person and pretty self-effacing. So I'm, I'm excited about this book. But again, that is Unmasked, My Life Solving America's Cold Cases by Paul Holes. That one sounds very interesting. Yeah, and I, like investigators can be they're sort of like very full of themselves or just sort of like very nonchalant i feel like about their jobs and so i I kind of appreciate the nonchalant ones where it's just like very straightforward you know yeah and like this is his job and he does it and it's hard but you know yes exactly um i have two other books that i want to share just as quick mentions the first one is called Bomb Shelter, Love, Time, and Other Explosives by Mary Laura Philpott. Uh, and I'm mentioning this one because uh, it uh, she had a previous collection of essays, I believe, that I really liked. And so this is um, a story about she is writing in the aftermath of a, a health crisis for her son. Uh, and so she is just writing about sort of all of the, quote, the big questions of life, death, and existential fear. Uh, so I think that that one should be pretty good. She's a very funny and uh, engaging essayist. And then the uh, second book I wanted to mention was called Some of My Best Friends, Essays on Lip Service by Taja Eason. And this is a essay collection about race, justice, and the limits of good intentions. And so she, uh, Eason is the editor-in-chief of Catapult. And so she, in the essay collection, looks at, quote, the absurdity of living in a world that has grown fluent in the language of social justice but doesn't always follow through, which I think is a fascinating position to take, given just given sort of the discourse of the world. So, and that's another one that I haven't gotten to read yet, but I wanted to mention because I think it sounds great. Awesome. Yes. Uh, all right. So with that, our second sponsor for this week is Book Riot's newsletters. Do you know, I'm sure you do, that Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre, as well as book news and deals. Sign up for Book Riot Deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day, handpicked by our editorial staff, so you know that there's going to be really good ones in there. Uh, There's also Today in Books, summing up the most interesting literary headlines every day, and the Riot Rundown, which is our roundup of the most exciting new content, or our New Books newsletter that compiles a list of the week's best new releases and comes to you every Tuesday, which is New Release Day and Publishing. That one's awesome. Uh, We also have newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, YA enthusiasts, mystery slash thriller aficionados, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash newsletters to sign up for whichever ones are most interesting to you. I open book deals every single day. Yeah, gotta love great book deals. It's uh, (laughs) it's the way you like build your TBR up so it's much bigger than you can ever possibly finish, and that is the most satisfying kind of TBR to have. (laughs) All right. So uh, for this week, our weekly theme, we decided we wanted to talk about books about people and their jobs. Uh, So weird jobs, uh, normal jobs, books about work, uh, that kind of thing. So uh, I feel like I've been talking for a long time. So I'm going to have you go first, Alice. Gasp. Gasp. Um, That sounds great. So I (laughs) 
I will talk about The Raven Master, My Life with the Ravens at the Tower of London by Christopher Scaife. I remember when this came out and it was really exciting because it was like, what a very rare job. <laughs> like mm-hmm, how many mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm, how many Raven Masters can there be throughout the entire world? Um, but Christopher Scaife, he basically he started working at the Tower of London and then he got involved with the Ravens. The Ravens are there because it's there's this legend that if they ever leave the Tower of London, the Tower of London will fall, which is, you know, like a fun little myth. <laughs> probably a myth i don't know but so he is a um christmas gave is technically the yeoman warder raven master which is such like an I, one of the things i really enjoy about england and just a lot of european countries um probably a lot of countries that are not the united states <laughs> is that they sometimes have these like words or traditions that you're like what oh wow hold on that was an amazing clap of thunder. It was. Yeah. Holy moly. That one. Ooh, that scared me. Wow. You know, it just sounds, for me, it's very soothing because I fall asleep <laughs> to rain sounds. But uh, that was, that's fun. That's like real time, real time weather right here That was really pod. scary. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> oh. Continue. But yeah, no, so like things like calling someone a yeoman, which is also just weird. But it's it's just old, and so they keep doing it, which I know the whole point of America was kind of like, we don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, because we don't have it, I think it's fascinating. There are some people who don't believe that the Raven myth is actually from uh, – some people say it's from the 1600s, I believe, and then some people say that uh, it, in fact, is from, like, the late 1800s. <laughs> so it, <laughs> it might be, like, pretty new. But – The really fun thing that I enjoyed about this book is you learn a lot about ravens, which one might expect. So Chris Scaife talks about the different ravens who live there, what their personalities are, um, how they interact with the many, many visitors that come, and just like what his daily life is like while taking care of them. And it's just really fascinating. And it's made me like never quite look at i think i mostly see crows i would be surprised if i saw ravens but even if even looking at crows i'm like oh (laughs) you guys are fascinating (laughs) birds so again that is the raven master my life with the ravens at the tower of london by christopher scaife yeah i'm really glad you talked about that one that one sounds really fun um and yeah you're right like how many of these raven masters are there in the whole world like there's not very many people that could write this book probably uh so it's fun to like see the inside of that even if perhaps the reason for having them is not as old as we anticipated that it might have been um all right so my first pick for jobs is uh, i think we've probably talked about this one before but not for a while uh and that is hammerhead the making of a carpenter by nina mclaughlin which came out back in i think 2015 and so this is a book about a woman who is a journalist who decides that she is going to become a carpenter so um it opens with her kind of feeling adrift and a little bit off about her job working at a newspaper she just like sits at a desk and is kind of like eh, am i doing anything that like really matters and so she sees an ads on craigslist to be a carpenter's assistant which ca- says that it strongly encourages women to apply and so she decides on kind of on a whim that she's going to do that despite the fact that she has absolutely no carpentry experience at all 
she manages to impress the woman who owns the company, and so she gets hired as a carpenter. And so the whole book is about her learning to be a carpenter, but also like the experience of going from a job that is very much just like on a screen to something that's real and tangible and that you can sort of look at the end of the day and see an output of a thing that you have built with your hands. Um, And so she writes about that experience. She also writes about what it is like to be a woman working in a primarily male occupation, like most carpentry and manual labor is largely men. And so she writes about her experience being a woman in those uh, fields. She writes about her mentor, Mary, who is a very, she's an interesting character in the book. And yeah, like writes about kind of the projects that she works on from everything from like just building a wall to like renovating an entire kitchen or an entire house. And she kind of explores ideas about work through uh, the differences in jobs that are desk jobs versus building jobs and kind of what she learns about the world of work through manual labor as a carpenter. So I remember when I read this one, I was also working as a journalist. I still work at a job where I sit at a desk and like write things all day. But just like it was really interesting kind of contemplating like different ideas about work and how our work exists and what it would be like to have a job that is much more tangible than the ones that I have had now. So this is a really just an interesting book, a lot of things to think about uh, related to work and the things that we produce. So that is Hammerhead, The Making of a Carpenter by Nina McLaughlin. Is that like what Karl Marx talked about when he was like, people would like make a chair and then they'd be like, this is the chair that I've made, but then now it's like assembly line stuff and it's all soulless. I mean, probably. There's probably, I don't, she doesn't really talk about that, but I could see that being a part of it for sure. Yeah, that's fair. I could also be completely misremembering <laughs> the marks that I read 18 years ago. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't read marks in probably that long either. Oh, boy. All right. I would like to talk about Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematory by Caitlin Doty. I really like Caitlin Doty. She, uh, she has a YouTube page and she's around my age, so I get most of her references. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she's written a few books. This was, I believe, her first one um, where she talks about her first job at a crematory, like her first job in the funeral industry, which she came to with a degree in medieval history. And just was, like, kind of in charge of of working the crematory part. Um, so, and it was, like, a very small setup. And I did the audiobook for this one, which is good because, again, she has a YouTube page. So she is used to, you know, kind of relating facts in a fun way, even though it just feels weird to say because it's all about death. But this is part of her goal. Um, in 2011, she started the Order of the Good Death, which is all about kind of reframing death and incorporating it more into our lives, like the fact of it, and making the funeral industry itself less predatory. Um, A lot of people can, they get like, not like bankrupted, but funerals are very expensive. Mm -hmm. And they also tend, there's like this weird sort of setup where sometimes it doesn't really allow you space for grief. So the order of the good death is all about kind of figuring out how we can make this a better process for everyone, which I think is really laudable. And so I just, I like her work. I like her personality. So I read all of her books, but Smoke is in Your Eyes is just especially interesting, I think, because she does talk about like, what is it behind the scenes at like a crematory? And how do you like go and like pick up like, like bodies and like all the, all these things that we don't normally think about and some maybe don't want to think about. But if you do, then it is again, smoke gets in your eyes and other lessons from the crematory by Caitlin Doty. Yes, I love her too. She's really, 
she has a way of like making things that are uncomfortable to talk about. Not comfortable exactly, but like she approaches them with humor. And so then it doesn't feel as awkward to be like talking about them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah. And I liked learning more about like how that whole, how it all works. Like, you, like who knows? And anytime you would like are up close to experience something like that, it's always a really sad time. And so it's not possible to like learn about it while you're also being sad or whatever. Right. I don't know. No, I totally get what you mean. You're not like, I'm not going to get into like the nuts and bolts of this whole operation when right. I'm overcome yeah. by sadness. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes, fascinating pick. Really good one. All right. So my uh, second pick is actually a book that just came out this year that I saw at the library when I was um, looking around and it is great. Uh, so the book is called Just Pursuit, A Black Prosecutor's Fight for Fairness by Laura Coates, uh, which came out in January. Uh, and so this is about a woman who uh, joins the Department of Justice as a prosecutor. And when she takes that role, she thinks that she is going to be able to be an advocate for um, vulnerable people who are uh, finding themselves in the justice system. But she quickly realizes that, quote, even with the best intentions, the pursuit of justice creates injustice. And so uh, Coates is a black woman, and she she brings that perspective to her work as a prosecutor. And so but she finds that that just creates conflict for her in her experience. Right. She her her identities as a black woman and a mother are identities that she thinks that she she finds at odds with the justice system. And so she shares a bunch of stories about these kind of really challenging situations she finds herself in where like her her feelings as a person versus what she believes or what what are her obligations as a prosecutor and her attorney are at odds with each other um so uh, the first chapter of the book is about um, she is prosecuting a crime, a person who stole a car, I believe, and she does a background check on the victim of the crime who is coming into court to testify and discovers that that person is an undocumented immigrant and has a warrant out for his arrest. And so she really wrestles with what she should do in that situation because she doesn't want to um, turn that person in because they haven't done anything except be the victim of a crime. And that's why they're interacting with the justice system in the first place. But her obligation as a prosecutor is that she has to turn that person in to um, authorities. And so it's about the struggle she has in that situation and how that that situation kind of leads into many others where she finds herself at odds with what her her job as a prosecutor is. And so um, there's a lot just about how the um, j- justice system works, how lawyers work in that system, some of the obligations that they have professionally, and how they have to like think about that and what that means and how her various identities affect how she feels as a prosecutor and what she eventually kind of decides to do. And the balance between idealism and the law and reality of actually being a part of the system and what the parameters of the system even are. And so there's a lot in it, too, about just trying to change the system while you're a part of it and what that is like and how difficult that can be and what, you know, what what that experience is like. So I have found this one very powerful. Um, the stories that she's sharing are really complicated, and you can see how she's grappling with it and has tried to learn and show a lot of different sides of those situations. So I think it's a really fascinating one, especially if you're a person who's interested in the courts and that kind of thing. So Just Pursued, A Black Prosecutor's Fight for Fairness by Laura Coates. Well, you can also be like, okay, well, if you don't want to be faced with those kinds of dilemmas, like don't do that job, right? Because sometimes it makes you do Mm -hmm. very unsavory things. But then like, who's going to be doing that job? It's just Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) 
Like, yeah. not great people. Yeah, and she's now, a, a, I believe, a legal correspondent for, I want to say CNN, but that could be wrong. But she's no longer working for the Department of Justice, so she's decided not to do that anymore. But, um, yeah, you're totally right. You know, you there's this balance of, like, well, I feel like I can bring a new perspective and a new sense of – a new perspective to this job, and maybe that will help. And whether that's true or not is hard to, you know, hard to yeah. – Hard to balance and hard to figure out. So I think there's a lot of complexity in the, the story. All right. Uh, and so with that, we will wrap up as we normally do by talking about the books that we are reading uh, right now at this very moment. The one I'm going to hopefully pick up next is called The Trayvon Generation by Elizabeth Alexander. Uh, and this is a really tiny little book. It's based on, or I think it is originally a New Yorker essay that they've just turned into a book. Um, and it was written in the middle of the summer of 2020 with all of the civil unrest that was happening across the country related to um, black uh, Americans being killed by police. And so Elizabeth Alexander is a black woman. She has two sons. And so she is writing this reflection about the challenges that face young people and young black people in the United States. Um, And so this book, I think, expands on the essay a little bit, but it's still kind of short. Um, Elizabeth Alexander is a poet, too, so I just I find her writing really beautiful. So I'm uh, interested in this one. Um, yeah, I feel like I have heard of her, but maybe it's from her poetry. Yeah. Yeah, I am reading a very different book, <laughs> which <laughs> is uh, it's another audiobook. I was looking for kind of like a Lincoln break, if you can believe it, uh, in terms of audio. So I picked up Endurance, Shackleton's Incredible Voyage by Alfred Lansing, which is all about Shackleton, Ernest Shackleton trying to cross the Antarctic with his crew, um, be the first person to do that. And, well, first white person, probably. But um, he then gets they get stuck in ice like there are like miles of ice around their ship and it like is slowly crushing the ship so Mm -hmm. they all have to leave and the i mean the it's not a spoiler right this happened in history but shackleton is known for being an amazing leader because all of the people on the ship survived and they were able to make it to safety and it's just like not not what you would expect at all from that situation Mm mm-hmm And they just had to, like, ugh. Anyway, I'm very early on in it, but I'm very excited to see, like, what they do. I know at some point there's, like, an encounter with a seal leopard that's supposed to be (laughs) very traumatic. But, um, yeah, like, all of these things they had to deal with and this horrible weather because it was winter there, which meaning I think it was, like, summer in general. But very, very, very cold. And they still, oh, they still made it. So I'm excited to be inspired by history. And with that, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time. Kim is at Kim the Dork. Our amazing audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zink. Uh, if you have a few minutes, we would love it if you would take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so people find us more easily. And while you're there, you can follow so you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. With that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.